The NBA Gambling Podcast and the Sports Gam Podcast are presented by Shady Rays. SGPN is teaming up with Shady Rays for Shady May. Get 50% off your Shady Rays using promo code SGPN and then go to sportsgampodcast.com slash shady for your chance to win $500. We're also brought to you by the SGPN merch store. Just in time for summer, the SGPN store has a new line of mesh shorts. Use the promo code shorts at store.sportsgampodcast.com for 10% off. And welcome, everybody, to the NBA Gambling Podcast here late Saturday night dash early Sunday morning because it's definitely going to overlap. I'm your host for this episode, Scott Reichel, once again joined by Delonte Smith. And it's a bit of a doubleheader because we had the Western Conference Finals preview episode a couple hours ago. If you weren't aware of that, check it out. But now it's time to go back to the actual game previews and predictions because we have one game, and it's a pretty important one. We have Game 7 between the Sixers and the Celtics. It's been a very confusing series and a very ugly series at times, but it is the only Game 7 we have. Delonte, how's it going with you? How excited are you for this game? Yeah, man, I'm indifferent. I'm doing good, first of all. Uh, thank you for I'm, asking. I'm indifferent. All right, I like yeah. the answer to that. Okay. Yeah, so I really don't know what to expect. I know we were talking a little bit um, before we came on about what to expect, especially with the total being this low. Um, yeah, I mean, I can see it going a lot of different ways. Uh, I mean... I guess we'll get into that later, but yeah, I just, I don't know how to exactly feel. Maybe I'm still, maybe I need to sleep on it. I guess that what that would be the saying, but yeah, I'm indifferent. I don't really know um, what to expect. I can just see it going various ways. So long answer to say, I don't know. <laughs> I think I can also see it going various ways solely because of the coaching That's and it. how you don't know That's what it. you're going to be getting from yeah. either guy. I'm going to ask you this though, since we are going to basically talk about the coaches and the actual breakdown in other words, does momentum even matter in this series? Because it feels like we've gotten constant switches. Home court's been basically irrelevant this entire series. Does momentum exist in this series? It doesn't feel that way. No, I don't think so. I think it's totally irrelevant, especially. In, I mean, we've seen both um, both road teams. Well, both teams have won two games on a row, right? Yeah. So, mm-hmm. I mean, home court's obviously not meaningful in this series and uh, both teams with the familiarity that they play with and some of the styles that they that they play I mean there it's not much you can adjust to the change I mean it's just about executing and being able to map out that specific game plan for um, this specific game now I know you know the coaching is a big issue in it and we'll get into that later but yeah I don't think to answer your question there's no momentum for either team if that was the case then after Boston got blown like got blown out on their home floor. They would have, you know, been we wouldn't be talking about this right now. We'd be previewing the the Heat and the 76ers. But of course, that's not the case. And also, if the Celtics were any kind of consistent or had any kind of momentum, they would have ended it maybe a game ago. So I mean, you know, who knows with with this is it's a weird series like you alluded to. But I think it's I think this might be one of the game like least excited game sevens. I've, we've had in a while as far as just expectation was i know the names are big of course i was gonna say wise. i don't know if it's a matter of expectations or everybody's fed up trying to predict what either team's gonna do in a game that's, and fair, game that, that's a better way to put it that's a better that way we just it. don't even care anymore like I, i'm at the point whether it's betting on player props or not 
I hope both teams will lose because I hate these damn teams. I'm just going to put that on record. I can't stand betting on these teams. I just can't. It's so frustrating trying to expect coaches to make simple adjustments or what you think is simple, and they just don't do it. For example, I know Horford was pretty good defensively last game. I thought he was going to get his minutes reduced. I thought you might see more Grant Williams. And Horford played, I think he played 39 minutes, and he still couldn't hit a shot. Like, right. It was nothing. just enough. There were no adjustments at all. Tatum just helped bail, just helped bail out the Celtics, and the Sixers scored three points in the final five minutes and fifty six seconds of Game Six. But I do think momentum. Since I posed the question, I think it matters maybe on a player basis. I think it matters a lot for Jason Tatum because yeah, Tatum was true. really, really underwhelming, especially in the first half for a couple of games in a row, and he was on pace for an all-time stinker, especially if the Sixers won that game. That was a, I don't want to say legacy-defining game, but that was a game that would have lived on in people's memory of Tatum for the rest of his career, and then he had a massive fourth quarter, hit a bunch of threes down the stretch, and he kind of saved his legacy, quote-unquote, at least until Game 7. So if I think momentum plays a factor... I think it would play a factor for individual players, and I think Game 6 had the biggest impact, obviously, on Tatum, who caught fire late in the last couple of minutes of that game. Yeah, I can totally agree with, with that. And I also think momentum for Maxi uh, in that Game 5, I thought he played extremely well. Uh, he combined for uh, – he scored 30 in that game. I think he only combined for maybe like 34 in the previous games. So he's had 30 and I think 26 was his last outing in, in game six, if I'm not mistaken. So he's being a lot more aggressive. I think he's building on something and actually letting him initiate some of the offense more and allow Harden to become somewhat of a spot-up shooter, which is, I think, the best recipe of their offense. It, it makes them more than just one-dimensional because, as we've been talking about all year, Harden doesn't have the burst. He doesn't have the ability to be able to go past people like he used to. Um, so I think Maxi on the ball – is a lot more difficult to deal with than having Harden uh, dribble the ball when he's pretty much predictable as what he's going to do. Yeah, but I feel like just mentioning the momentum, I think it matters more for a player basis because home court hasn't mattered, as we've said before. And I still think Boston has split their last like like 18 home playoff games or 16 home playoff games. So I do think that at the end of the day, it should be a matchup between, I don't want to say Tatum and Maxi comparing, but if you want to talk about who can build anything off of last game, it would be Tatum and Embiid. It would be Tatum and Maxi, and maybe a little bit of extra edge to Embiid because in the postgame presser, he basically said, I need the ball more, and I do think he will be more aggressive moving forward. Now, is it going to matter? I don't know because we've seen Embiid vanish in the late game situations in his playoff career, but I was kind of happy in a way as a basketball fan that Embiid realized either the team needs to get him the ball or maybe he needs to demand the ball more. But at least he recognized the urgency of him carrying the team moving forward. Now, it's a problem that they have to punt the game six at home in order for him to figure that out. But at least he figured it out at some point. Yeah, I'm I'm agreeing with that. I mean, I don't know if he... It's it's kind of a mix. it's, It's hard to distinguish whether a player is just not does not want to be involved or well, if Philly teammates... was lost for the last five yeah. minutes of regulation. Yeah. Well, offensively, I'm, I'm thinking it's a lot more, it's a lot more clear with certain teams like yeah. with the Jalen Brown thing. I can notice him not really being engaged and being, yeah. you know, fully like, like he is in the first quarter. Like if you watch him from the first quarter 
down. It seems like he's not wearing down. He's not tired. It's just like he loses interest. And I don't There's know. There's not a certain intensity level that's consistent right. for 40 minutes with right. Jalen Brown. And I mean, you do, you shouldn't have to have a. It's the playoffs. Every game matters. Every minute matters. So it's not like, you know, it's the regular season where you can take plays off or whatever. Now, obviously, these guys aren't going to 100% all the time, but you get what I'm saying. Like, from an intensity and effort standpoint, it should all be there. So I just don't realize that. I mean, I just don't see the aggression with some of these guys being at that high of a level and then trailing off. Now, to what Joel's credit, like, saying that is big. So the down part to that is. I mean, Harden's probably going to have to get him the ball, but I mean, even if I think Boston will be content with Joel scoring, you know, 40 to 50 if they lose, if those other guys don't get involved. And that's what it's, that's what's going to happen if he gets, you know, 25 to 30 shots. Those other guys are not going to get a rhythm and not going to be engaged defensively. And I mean, their role players aren't playing well on the road either. Tobias, he's rebounding the ball well, but he's not scoring well. I was going to get into Tobias's stats in a second, but I was going to focus more on the main guys first. Yeah. So, I mean, I I think it's big for, for Joel to get the ball, but I think it's more, I think it's better for him to get the ball in certain spots, in certain situations versus just pounding him the ball. Like he Shaq in, in 2000, if you, if you know what I mean. Yeah. But I do feel like if I had to place the blame, most people probably blame doc for not game planning and beat open. I'm actually just going to blame Embiid straight up. If you're the best player on a team, you should not need the coach to call plays for you in the last five-plus minutes to get a touch of the basketball. And it's not even just the fact that this is a one-time thing. We've seen this constantly with Embiid's entire career, and we saw it earlier this series. If you remember, in the one game they won in Game 4 with that hardened three-pointer in overtime, P.J. Tucker had to straight up yell at Embiid in the middle of the fourth quarter because Horford was owning him for about a three- or four-minute stretch, and Embiid wanted nothing to do with the basketball, and he was being very passive. So I personally blame it more on Embiid. You can make an argument Doc Rivers should make sure that the ball automatically goes into Embiid's hands at least once. But Embiid, when you have had a hard time of actually closing out games in two of the last three games – not to mention the entire playoff career you've had with a decent amount of no-show second halves for Embiid. I'm getting flashbacks to the Boston series from a couple years ago or the Miami series from a year ago where Embiid just vanishes into thin air. I blame Embiid more personally. Uh, yeah, I don't um I don't disagree I don't disagree with that because if PJ Tucker has PJ Tucker's and one actually saved them. It did. And and I think that's when he was uh in Joel's ear and I know the presser he was explaining more so as to like what he was saying and, and why he was saying it. And I thought he had some good rationale because he was saying, you know, they haven't been able to stop you all series. What the hell are you doing? Like It was a mix. I liked what Tucker said during the game, and I like what he said in the post game, basically yeah. saying you went up soft. We can't have that. Right. If you're going to go right. up soft, we're going to lose. Like, right. I'm, I'm stopping you need guys, And you need guys like that. You that's why they got him. They didn't get him for scoring. They got him for defense and for overall leadership, and that's something that Milwaukee might have been missing. Or Miami, I mean, Miami, I guess, didn't miss because they're still in the Eastern Conference Finals. But I think Milwaukee could have used them from what I saw instead of trading five picks for Jay Crowder. But (laughs) I do think that we do have to briefly mention it's kind of just a brief game six recap, which is what this turned into. I got to mention Tobias Harris, which was brought up earlier in the comment section. If you play 42 minutes, and this is also why I've been anti Tobias Harris for a while, I know that he's a decent, I can't even call him a role player because he's getting paid too much to be a role player but he's kind of a third or a fourth option on an offense. You can't have P.J. Tucker 
outscore you by four times the amount of points in a in a potential series clinching game. Tobias Harris went one for seven in 42 minutes. To, uh, PJ Tucker scored four times the amount of points in half the minutes. He played 20 minutes and scored eight points, and Tobias played 42 minutes and scored two points. That's why people don't like Tobias Harris. Yeah, and that's even taken away from his rebound. Like I've been killing it with his rebound props. He's been rebounding the ball well, but efficiency-wise and scoring, like I thought they had something with him posting up the like they would empty the side and just post him up, and it was working. Like I don't know why yeah. I don't know why they went away from it, but I mean they did. But that that post up empty side with him and he would have probably smart on him or or maybe brogdon and you know tobias is legit what six eight six nine and they're also sending some fronts on mb and with pick and roll coverages they're over adjusting to try to stop the main action harris if we're talking about players being aggressive and demanding the ball harris could easily get himself 10 to 15 shot attempts if he really wanted it but he clearly doesn't want it all right so and that was kind of my that's, takeaway. That's, that's been the whole body. knock on him his whole career, even when he was in Orlando. And when yeah, he was it, with the, it's uh, a reason Clippers. why people have always yeah. said he's a talented player, but he bounced yeah. around from Detroit to the Clippers to the Sixers, and he's just been bouncing around a bunch of teams. I'm not he's comparing exactly. Of, to, yeah, I was going to say Christian ahead. Wood. Yeah, kind yeah, of. That's, that's fair. I, I'll not the same exact the comparison, but it's a guy you look around and go, you know, he's pretty good, and then you realize that every team that has him doesn't exactly want him after a year. Like it's kind of one of those. Yeah, but, I think he's Brandon Cooks. He he's productive when when that's a throw. It, okay, I, I like that. Yes, okay. he's productive. He's bounced. He's bounced around. He does just enough to be like, oh yeah, you know, he's a pretty good player. And then whenever it's time for him to shine, like in this specific game, I don't know if he'll be able to rise to the occasion. And that's the knock on him. Yeah, especially but, with what he's getting paid, like you alluded to. That's the issue that people run into with Tobias every postseason. But I think it's funny because he's not a good, he's not a well-known or a star player to some degree where he receives any backlash whatsoever when he probably does, has deserved some. You blame most of it on Simmons for passing up a layup and you blame some of it on Embiid. But Harris has really no-showed a lot of these big games in the past. Yep. And yep. nobody's really criticized him enough for it. And I do think that it is worth t- at least talking about. But I do want to go through some of the transition stuff for Game 7 and what to expect. However, I did say before we actually went on air that we were going to talk about some breaking news in the NBA to kind of take a brief pause. This is the halftime show, I guess, so to speak, for the Game 7 preview because there was a breaking news that took place with a recently eliminated team, and we talked about the potentially bad coaching between Doc Rivers and Missoula, which we will get back to. Don't worry about that. However, there was a potentially good or bad coach According to his trophy closet, he was the best coach in the league about a year ago. But Monty Williams officially got fired or let go or parted ways or down, whatever, you know, whatever phrase makes you feel better. <laughs> the Suns realized they didn't need him anymore, and the Suns officially got rid of Monty Williams. Now, I do know a lot of Suns fans did not like him. And I do know that even though I won a coach of the year bet on him last year, shout out to him for the money. But I do have to point out, I think he's a bit of an overrated coach. Having said that, this seems extremely scapegoatish to me. Because I don't know how any coach, no matter how good you are, was supposed to win with this roster when your best bench player was arguably Landry Shaman. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's fair. I mean, I think 
all the uh, you know twitter was in a uproar i think they still are actually about it with some people most people having the same thought process as you as saying you know they don't know why he was a scapegoat or whatever i mean simple as put i think that you know hbo he wasn't hbo's guy i mean that's just what that's just what it is from an ownership standpoint he wants to get his guys in he wants to you know be in control so monty wasn't his guy he got embarrassed in back-to-back years um, although he got there to the Western Conference Finals last year, was last year he got to the Western Conference Finals and, and the got finals a couple years ago, right? So I mean, the finals was more competitive, but I mean, you got embarrassed in back to back years by lesser. T- well, I mean, I guess the Dallas was a lesser team outside of Luca. I think yeah, they pretty much had a no. A, they a were. Spot. I think we all know that Dallas. It's kind of funny because people always compare Luca to to Trey because they were traded for each other. The Dallas run kind of reminded me of that Hawks run to Eastern yeah. Conference Finals where you look at them in hindsight and go, oh, this team clearly was not one of the mm-hmm. best like five teams in the league. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I kind of I can understand it. I mean, he wanted to get, he wants to get his guy in. And uh, I don't know if you've heard any of Ishbia, but he's an energetic, like yeah. Mark Cuban type of owner. So also it seems just from what I've read and. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I didn't take much of it. I mean, sometimes, you know, the, the message gets get stale and obviously him and DeAndre Ayton had their issues uh, of whatever that, whatever the case may be. So I'm guessing they choose, they chose to side with DeAndre Ayton. I mean, he owed him a, a, a lot of money. I think they're getting sure. rid of Ayton anyway, but yeah. So, I mean, personally. right now, just, just from like just early reports, I just think that they're siding more with the player than, than the coach. And I think Ishby is just wants to get some new blood in there. He wants to get his, he want to get his guy in there and see what they can do. But other than that, man, I mean, I feel bad. Obviously Monty Williams is one of the better light human beings in the NBA circle from everybody that I hear from. They always say he's a stand up guy and everything. All the players love him. Um, but not yeah, man, I think I think he'll, I'll I'll think he'll be the, sob, the sob story stuff that happened to him in his personal life a couple of yeah, years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I mean, you know, I, I don't, um, I don't think you have a problem getting another job. Uh, if he's smart, I would go back to the Spurs and probably wait for Pop to retire. Because um, I know he was he played for Pop, if I'm not mistaken, right? I, I was going to say, you can make an argument there. Maybe he, he can potentially go to Milwaukee in theory if they want to make a case for him. Yeah, it just depends on what he wants to do. If he wants to jump back in to be in the head man, if he wants to take a few years off and be a, you know an assistant. But I think that's totally up to him, and I think he'll have no zero problem getting a job. I don't think he have zero problem getting a job. But yeah, I'm, I'm in agreement with you. I mean, I did feel kind of scapegoatish, but I also kind of understood it. So I'm kind of right in the middle. I get it. I I just feel like they were so quick to fire him when I'm just throwing it out there. I don't think he coached a great series, but with this flawed roster against Denver, I don't think they had much of a chance anyway. Yeah, and I mean, he he didn't have these guys before. I mean, he had KD for eight games. So it's it's the manner in which they lost Game Six. That's really why he got fired. And and it's a matter of how they lost to the Mavericks with a better supporting cast. So yeah, it was history repeating itself. Down thirty at the half in each game. Yeah. Right, and right. not even. I mean, you can lose, but I mean, at least be competitive, and yeah. at least, you know, you got to show some kind of fight. It seemed like the game was over after the first quarter. Oh, it was literally the exact same thing in back-to-back years—a home game for elimination. I know it was Game Seven, but same idea. Down thirty at the half at home in back-to-back seasons. Like I mm-hmm. get it, but I do think this Phoenix roster was very flawed, and it seems like James Jones or Ishbia fired Monty Williams to save his own ass. 
Yeah, that's fair. That's how I see it. But I do want to at least pose a conver- a question here, which I posted on my Twitter about a month or so ago, or no, about a couple weeks ago. And it's kind of a running joke because I used to do a live show every day on a different channel uh, where we talked about some sports topics every day, whatever. And a common theme, which I got a bunch in the comment section, was people acknowledging how much I dislike coaches in sports <laughs> and how I think there are so many bad coaches out there. They're getting paid a bunch of money. So I asked this question on Twitter, and I'm just going to ask you this right now. I said there's a running joke that I dislike about 80% of coaches in sports. Serious question. How many objectively good coaches are there in the NBA? There are 30 teams. And I'm going to read off the coach of the years for the past couple of years. I'm going to ignore Mike Brown because this was this year, so he's clearly not getting fired. 2022, Monty Williams. 2021, Thibodeau. 2020, Nick Nurse. 2019, Budenhoser. 2018, Dwayne Casey, 2017, Mike D'Antoni. That means if you look at uh, 2022 all the way through to 2017, the only head coach who still has his job is Thibodeau, and Knicks fans have wanted him fired for two years. (laughs) Right. So I'm actually curious. Those are the winners of the award for the last one, two, three, four, five, six, the last six years, not including Mike Brown. Once again, How many good coaches are there in the NBA when six of the last seven winners of the Coach of the Year award, the one exception being Mike Brown, who won it this year, got fired? How many good coaches are there? I mean, didn't George Carl Carl win the Coach of the Year and get fired in the same year? That was Dwayne Casey who got fired because they they lost to LeBron again in the playoffs. I think George Carl did the same thing with Denver. Yes. No? Or or maybe, yeah, yeah, I think so. But, yeah, um... Once again, six of the last seven, six of the last six, not including this this past years, are no longer employed. Yeah, or, or you have uh, Thibodeau in there. Yeah, excluding first year coaches, um, Spo is one, obviously. Pop is two. Um, I'd put a Kerr in there, but yeah, Kerr is Kerr is three. Kerr's in there. Um, who else? Good coach. Good coach. Um, I I got Dagnalt in there from Oklahoma City. Who I'm a big fan of. Small, it's small, small sample, small size. sample size, but still, because yeah. like, I, I, I like, I like Will, I like Will Hardy too. But I mean, it's yeah. like, a, it's just a small sample. But once size. again, I just want to point out here: I'm asking how many good coaches. There are 30 teams in the league. We're struggling at four. Yeah, this, I mean, this is my point. And it's 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 also like a third of the league has just turned over, so it's first year coaches. Yeah. So I see Bill's mentioning Ty Lue. He said Ty Lue can be an option. Yeah, I think, I, mean, I think he's overrated, but I still think he's he's fine. Yeah, I think I think Ty Lue's a good. I think Ty Lue's a good coach. Um, so we at, so we're at five. Um, Once again, five out of thirty, and we're like we're digging to get to five. You probably can debate. You probably can debate uh, if Michael Malone is. is I think a Malone is. Coach. I'll, I'll throw Malone in there. He's made the Western Conference Finals with a healthy team a couple. Snyder is a good Malone coach. I think I think Snyder is a good coach. Okay, that's fair. I think Snyder is a, a really good coach. Um. Udoka is a question mark because he coached for basically one year, so I can't throw that in. There. Right, right, and I would, I would say the thing, the thing about Udoka is I don't know how good of a coach he is, but I just know that he's an enforcer, and you know, NBA players are used to being coddled. So when somebody yeah. is challenging and in their face, saying like, "Yo, what the hell are you doing?" Like it's, it's literally seen on camera him looking at Jason Tatum saying, "What the fuck are you doing? Mm-hmm. Like, what are, what are you doing?" And you don't see that from coaches. And I think that's a respect factor that the players have from um, from that perspective. So 
I'm not a hundred percent sure. Like you said, I haven't seen enough to be able to call him a, a good coach, but some of the things that he does with those players, as far as, you know, connecting with them is something that you got to have in this day and age, because it's a player's league at the end of the day. Jason Tatum can go to the front office and tell them, Hey, Missoula, we don't want him. You think yep. they're gonna? You think they're gonna think twice? No. No. Jay, I think Missoula out. might be done anyway. I think if he loses Game Seven, I think he might get fired anyway. But that's a yeah. Story. So I mean, um, I'm trying to think of who else. Uh, the, the point is, initially when I posed the question, I thought there was maybe seven, maybe. And once yeah. again, you might be reaching. You can argue best case scenario, maybe ten. That means roughly 66% of the coaches in the league, probably more, like around 74% of coaches, you don't think are good in the league. That's my point. Yeah, I don't know how many good coaches there are. Yeah, so I'm just, I'm looking I'm just looking at the teams right now. So I'll just go down the line. Uh, That's the main discussion I wanted to have. I just don't think there are many great coaches yeah. in the league, which is kind of weird because they're all getting paid millions and millions of dollars. Right. Yeah, Tibbs is one. Snyder, Spo. Um, Malone. I'll throw Malone in there. I think yeah. Right. I, Malone is, is is debatable. Uh oh. Uh, he's, de- he's debatable, but he has the results. I'll I'll give it to Malone. So so my thing is, I like the Grizzlies coach. I okay. think he's a good coach. Jenkins, I think, I think he's is okay. Look, yeah, I think the roster is very flawed, so you can't fully tell. But I think he's fine. Yeah, and I think the the Timberwolves coach is okay. I think he's like borderline. I think he's okay. He just the roster is just not constructed to be able to win. At, after they blew basketball. all those leads against Memphis last year, I gotta I gotta temporarily put him in the mediocre category. What about Willie? Point. What about Willie Green? You think Willie Green's a good coach? Green's very very tricky. I I, I think he's okay, but I, I can't tell because Zion's never healthy and the roster's in flux. I think he's okay. I mean, his his claim to fame is a dream run through the play in tournament. Like he doesn't really have much of a sample size there. Yeah, I like I like Memphis's coach though. I do. Okay. But Once Memphis again, also ha- seven seven to ten. Yeah, but I mean, it, it's debatable. Like I, I wouldn't like if you're saying like, oh yeah, I don't like him. I mean, I wouldn't like be like, well, I mean, you're an idiot. Yeah. But but including like, Mike Brown, six yeah. of the last eight Coach of the Year winners are unemployed. All right, and I think Just a lot of that has there. to do behind the scenes. Like Memphis has an incredible player development. Like scouting department, they're like one of the elite. They draft well all the time, so they're one of the elite, elite staff. So that plays a part in coaching as well. Um, so yeah, man, argue, I think it's, I think it's a good Brown, discussion. Maybe limited sample size because he struggled at every other place he was at in, in hindsight. But he, I thought he did a good job this year. Yeah, he definitely did. I mean, yeah, like it's like four or five coaches that did good jobs. Like yeah. you know, the Thunder, the Jazz, um, with Hardy and Dagnall, and yeah. they did a great job. Um, I thought I, that. Yeah, I, like for me, I think James Borrego is a good coach, but I don't know why Charlotte fired him for to go back. I, I don't blame Borregos at all for what happened because none, nobody right. on his team wanted to play defense, and they right. brought back a retread and Steve Clifford. But right. the point is, I, I wanted to bring it up kind of as a footnote just to bring up a coaching discussion because it is pretty funny that six of the last eight Coach of the Year winners, the voted best coach of the previous season, is unemployed. I think that's pretty amusing. It's a funny footnote, at least. Yeah, that's it. But anyway, that's kind of what I wanted to at least discuss for the Monty Williams. But anyway, uh, we went through briefly game six in the Celtics series, and now we talked about the breaking news for the Suns. Now it's time to actually get into the game seven uh, prediction and preview. But before I actually get into that, I do want to have a quick word 
from our sponsor. We are brought to you by Shady Rays. Shady Rays is teaming up with SGPN for Shady May. Not only do you get an amazing 50% off deal, but you also have a chance to win $500. Shady Rays has durable frames and extremely clear optics for outdoor adventures. That's not all. Shady Rays also offers the most insane protection in all of eyewear. Every pair of sunglasses is backed with lost and broken replacements. If you lose or break your pair, even on the first day, they will send you a brand new pair, no questions asked, to wear your Shader Rays with confidence because they have your back long after purchase. And if you don't love them, you can exchange them for a new pair or return them for free within 30 days. There's no risk when you shop with Shady Rays. Their team always has your back. And for international listeners, Shady Rays has you covered as well with shipping to Canada, Australia, New Zealand, and the UK. Go to ShadyRays.com and use, and use code SGPN for 50% off two pairs of Polar sunglasses. Then take your receipt to SportsCampPodcast.com slash Shady for your chance to win the $500 Shady May contest. We're also brought to you by the SGPN merch store because since you already have your glasses from Shady Rays, it's time to get yourself a pair of shorts. In fact, a pair of mesh shorts for the summer. SGPN has just dropped a brand new line of mesh shorts, perfect for any summer activity. You can wear them on the beach. That's what I would do with them. Head over to store sportscampodcast.com and use the code shorts for 10% off your purchase. Welcome back everyone to the NBA gambling podcast. Just finished going through a pre a recap of game six and then a fun little coaches rant and discussion after Monty Williams got fired. Now it's time to actually discuss the reason why all of you are here. Actual gambling advice for game <laughs> seven between the Sixers and the Celtics to look at the actual lines for the game. Uh, lines are kind of fluctuating by half a point, but it's mostly Celtics minus six and a half at home, and the over-under is around 101, uh, 201 or 201 and a half. It opened up at around 203, so there has been pretty heavy money on money on the under. Delonte, I'm going to start with you. Since we said the momentum doesn't really matter, what exactly do you think is going to determine this game? I think it's going to be a matter of which coach does less sabotaging, and we'll go from there. Do you agree yeah. with that? Yeah, I do. I 100% agree with that. Um, at the end of the day, I think, you know, players play, coaches coach, but coaches have to put the players in position to be able to be at their elite level. Now, some of that, now some of the times with the great players, it doesn't matter, but I think in certain situations it does against certain competition. And in a game like this, I think coaching is going to be extremely, extremely vital because it's obviously no tomorrow. So you have to press the right buttons at the right times. Um, these are two coaches who are unfamiliar with having success at this level as far as a game seven. I think Doc Rivers is 17 and 32, the most losses in elimination games in NBA history by far. I was going to say he's experienced, but it's not good experience. <laughs> not good at all. And that's just elimin that's just elimination games. So let's say he's that bad, and let's say he's he could be down 3-0. I, I didn't filter it out to see like 3-0 or, you know, I think he was coaching back when it was a five-game series also in the first round. So who knows with all of that? But he's not good. So let's just leave it there. He's not good uh, in this specific set. But, I mean, his opposite bench, he's not that good either. Um, now, I think Missoula gets wrongfully criticized sometimes. I think he's overly cr criticized, I guess I would say. But some of the times he does have his issues. I mean, but most coaches have their issues. It's mostly the late game stuff for me. There are some moments where you want the players who have been in these big games before to actually just right. take charge. Right. So most of my issues with Missoula yeah. are based on late game execution because he never calls a timeout in the final possession. It seems like Boston's yeah. constantly, I'd say, clueless on what to actually run. 
whenever they have these big possessions where they should have some vague idea of what they at least want to do from an actual game plan perspective. That's the main criticism I have for Missoula. But sometimes I do think that Tatum and Brown and Smart just don't exactly want to shoot the big shots. I know Tatum stepped up in game six, but I have seen at various points in either the NBA finals or in some closeout games earlier in their careers, they do look a bit scared of the moment at times. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's going to be the biggest, um, the biggest thing that I want to see. And what I'd be fascinated to see as far as lineup switches and how he dictates, you know, when to rest Tatum, when to rest Brown, when to play them together, uh, and also, of course, the timeouts in the late game situation. But the late game stuff was an issue with Eme. So, yeah, I mean, it's you got to kind of pick your poison with what you want to blame on him because it's not his fault. Jason Tatum is oh for starts off oh of what eleven or twelve. That's not his fault. It's not his fault that Marcus Smart thinks he's the first, the best player on the floor. I mean, ironically, now, he's been one of the best players in this. Yeah, yeah. So, ironically, him, him and Brogdon actually carried him in, in that game six. But yeah, so. I think it's going to be fascinating to see. I think it's going to be an interesting game. I'm leaning, like I told you, I'm leaning to the to the 76ers with a low total. With a total this low, it definitely favors the underdog. I think it'll be a like you said, uh, you know, 1995, 2005 type of game. Uh, I think that favors. This, I think that favors the 76ers. Would I be surprised if they win? Yes, I really would be surprised if they win, uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if they covered. Yeah, so you mentioned Doc Rivers' 17-32 and 32 record in elimination games. I do have more detailed numbers on his Game 7s in particular. There we go. He's 6-9 and nine in mm-hmm. his career. Nine is the most losses of any coach in a Game 7. Uh, he's never won a Game 7 road game. To be fair, it's pretty difficult to win a Game 7 on the road. I know Golden State did it against a pretty inexperienced Sacramento team, and Fox had the messed up finger. But still... That one I can understand, but still, he's never won a Game 7 on the road. He's lost each of his last four Game 7s by an average of 12 points. I just want to throw that out there as well. So besides elimination games, he's particularly awful in Game 7s. Yeah, so, and uh, if you want some more Game 7 stuff, Tatum and Brown as a tandem, 4-1. and one. Um, That's straight up, the 4-1 and one straight up. Brown did win an extra game um, in that... He came off the bench. He wasn't really productive. Um, I think they were playing the. They were playing the. Who were they playing in that in that game? Maybe the Cavs. They playing the Cavs. Maybe, but in either the, way, wait, you mean the year that they lost to LeBron in the Eastern Conference Finals? No, no, no. It was the year before Tatum got there. Brown is five and Tatum one. Brown is five and one in the uh, in Game Sevens, and Tatum is four and one. Okay, I'm, I'm, like, so to, to I'm get, like half drawing a blank. Yeah, together they're four and one. I can't remember the the exact name, but you'll uh you'll notice that Jalen's stats are really really low. Like he's only average in in game sevens. He only averaging fourteen point seven points. That comes from early on when he wasn't as effective. Yeah, uh, some of that's usage. I mean, that's going to be a reason why. Right, right. So his usage has picked up later, and he just hasn't been in many game sevens um, since they've been at this level that they are. So. Uh, yeah, I'll be interested to see Game 7 stuff. I mean, um, it's, at the end of the day, I think it's going to come down to coaching and execution. I mean, that's as simple as it sounds. That's really, really key in this in this game, I think. And another Game 7 thing, these are the most Game 7 matchups between two teams in NBA history. So I think they've met. This, this will be the night time that these teams have met for Game 7. 
That wouldn't shock me. You had a, you had a couple of them between Dr. J and Larry back in the 80s. That doesn't totally mm-hmm. shock me. Yeah. But yeah. I do want to ask you, though, since we talked about the coaching mattering, and it's kind of weird and kind of funny because we mentioned some of the Game 7 struggles with coaches and with like Jalen Brown's numbers, etc. We didn't even bring up James Harden, who's like known for being a really bad Game 7 player. Uh, but that's mostly efficiency-based. But Harden hasn't had much success in Game 7s. His point totals are okay, but it's because his shot attempts yeah. were absurd with the with the teams he was on. And the last game seven that I remember him being in, was that the Dort game? I um, think. Was it? No, no, no. The, the last one the last one was whenever he was uh with your nits. He was I'm on sorry, the bad the nets, yeah. Well he yeah, he, I mean, he played fifty three minutes, he was on one leg. I'll give him a pass. He had twenty two yeah. he had twenty two though. Yeah, twenty two. I remember he banked in a three. He couldn't move. Yep. I actually gave him yeah, props could for not that move. performance, but he played yeah. fifty three minutes on one leg. I'll give that one a pass. The last game where he was fully healthy as an expected star yeah. was that yep. OKC game, and he was particularly yep. brutal in that one. But yep. I do want to ask, though, so since we kind of been beating around the bush a little bit, time to actually get into the actual spread and total. 201 in 2023. We saw game six die. That game landed at 181. I'm on the under. I'm not taking it over. I know Philly historically under Doc Rivers or Doc Rivers' career, his teams are especially bad offensively in Game 7s on the road. I'm on the under. I think Philly has a shot to no-show the game. I think Boston's got a shot to no-show the game. The point is I don't trust either offense, and I've been yelling at Boston to play faster for the entire series, and they keep playing slower. I think the pace is going to be disgusting. I think the shot quality is going to be disgusting. I'm on the under. I'm not sure either team gets to 100 here. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm on the under also. If you notice in the in the series, the first quarters outside of I think one, I think game three, maybe, they've all been like in the fifties, like fifty yeah, one, fifty two. And then the game just dies down. Like so mm-hmm. yeah, it's I mean it's the high, fourth quarters that have been yeah. really, really bad. So I, I I compare game sevens to first half of the Super Bowl. Nobody wants to make the big mistake. You know, they want to run the ball, short, you know, short passes. Mm-hmm. So I think everything will be timing. And nobody would want to take a bad shot. There'd be a lot of passes. I wouldn't be surprised to see if I could bet shot clock violations in the first half. If anybody wants to post that, I will literally bet the over because that's that's what kind of game I think it's going to be, especially on the 76ers side. They don't have much game seven experience as a whole. Now, the Celtics have been in this. They won last year. Uh, against the books in game seven. I was going to say, Philly scenario. does individually, but maybe yeah, not Yeah, individually, but just not, not collectively. Yeah. yeah, and Joel's only been in one game, uh, two game sevens, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Well, I'm trying to don't... think. He, he had the quiet shot against Toronto, mm-hmm. and then he had – what was he the had, um What else did he have? The Hawks. Uh, the Hawks no show. Yeah, they yeah, where, 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 yeah, where Trey – Trey killed him. That was where Kevin Herter built a career of being allegedly a clutch playoff player because of one because of <laughs> yeah, one game. He got a lot of money yeah. off that. He did. Yeah, but yeah, I'm on the I'm on the under also. I think it'll end up being somewhat like we saw in game uh six. Well, did you say that was 181? Yeah, it was 95 to 86. Yeah, honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if it's like 90, 84, 90, yeah. 85-ish. I think it's gonna resemble 1990s, early 2000s scores. Yep. Now there is a chance Boston blitzes them. There's always that yeah, possibility. No, it is. It is. It is. But that is. I think my favorite total would be Philly team total under. Yeah. I really don't see a world where Philly lights it up on the scoreboard, especially with the slow pace they play at. I think Boston can 
maybe Tatum has another masterpiece. You know, he built up some momentum from the previous game. Embiid no-showed the late stages of the fourth quarter in game six. We've seen him struggle in big moments, and Boston defensively might throw different looks at him. Harden, I think, is going to have a really bad game. Personally, I like the under 20.5 for Harden. It's one of my favorite player props because I do think there is a chance Harden defers. Because Embiid wants the ball more and because Maxie's been great, I can see a world where Harden only attempts like 13 shots and he just tries to defer and let the other guys cook. Not to mention the fact he can just go four for 16 again like he has in a couple of games in the series. But I like Philly team total under. I know it was at like 97.5. I'm sure it's lower than that now. But I do think, actually, no, it's probably still around there because it's like 104 to 97 for a exact score for the 201. Yeah, That's my favorite that. total, though. Yeah. I'm looking at Philly team total under. Yeah, and another thing I know somebody's bringing up in the chat, the first half under, I do like that. Uh, if you're into in-game wagering, being that the first quarters have been uh, a little high scoring uh, in the 50s, 51, 53, 52, usually the first quarter total is at 52 and a half, 53. Uh, you might want to just see how the game flows and then like put a half unit on the full game under and then jump in and bet the under after the first quarter because it'll be adjusted, you know, into the mid, I guess, 200. So maybe like 216, 217, depending on what it lands. So that's Unless another angle. nerves play a factor and both teams just come out and it's nine, eight, six minutes into the game. Right. Yeah. Or that. And if that's the case, then you got your half unit on, on the full game under. So you yeah. win either way. But uh, I'll ask you, though, since we both agree on the under, I think we both agree on Philly team total under. I'm not going to take Boston team total under because I do think they have a gear offensively that can get them over. And Philly defensively has occasionally had some no-shows in some big games here. I'm going to ask you about the side, though. There's obviously a world for Boston to blow them out. I mentioned that Doc Rivers' last four losses in Game 7, since he's lost four straight, have been by an average of 12 points. Are you expecting Boston to wake up finally in Game 7 at home? Or do you think it's going to be an, a really ugly rock fight First team to 90 wins. Well, I think they can. The problem for 76ers is Boston can win either way. Uh, I think the more the more disappointing thing with Boston has been their defense. I don't think they've been playing well enough defensively. And without that, they get a lot of transition buckets, a lot of easy buckets. Being that 76ers are scoring at will in the half court, they're not able to get out and get those easy buckets or turn those guys over. So I think defensively is where they need to hang their hat on. Now, offensively, obviously, we know they have the guys, Tatum, Brown, but they haven't put together a complete game both together, uh, like a really complete game. Like they need to go 30 and 30, like be aggressive from the jump. I mean, hell, Jalen Brown scores. 12 to 13 in the first quarter, every other sure, game. Is, I, I think if Tatum and Brown combine for 50, I think they win the game. You said 60, that's like an auto win. I think 50 yeah. might be enough, but we'll see. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if, if the Celtics blitz them, but um, our guy, Adam Rosenberg, who's a friend of the show, he brought up something interesting I wanted to ask you about. He's saying this was maybe like two days ago. I think he texted me. He was saying that plus 550 was kind of high for the 76ers to win the East. Because, I mean, they got a win in Boston. They've won twice in Boston, and then they'll it's get five fifty or eight fifty now. Um, I don't know what I don't know what it is now. Um, I think but, he tweeted it again that it was eight fifty. I think. Oh, okay. no, actually, I, maybe I, take no, it maybe back I have the maybe I have the number wrong. I can't, I can't I see, remember. I see three sixty now for for them to win the East. For them to win the title, it's eight fifty. 
That's okay, what maybe, I thought. Maybe okay, he was, was talking, maybe he was talking about the title and not that. Okay. I'm not sure. Either way, he said it was a lot of value on the 76. And I thought that was somewhat true because, I mean, you got to think there'll be a nice size favorite because they'll have home court against Miami. Um, so I thought that was some good value there. So I'm t- I took a little piece of that uh, to win the to win the East. Um, I have to see what number I got. I can't remember exactly what number it was. Uh, so I like the 76ers to cover the number. Would I be surprised if they got blitz? No, but I put my money on the low total, it being an ugly type of game, and Doc Rivers finding a way to maybe blow the game, but not the cover. That's fair. I I personally think, obviously, with a low total, it automatically favors Philly to cover the number because you have less points overall, so you have a more every point's more valuable. And once again, Boston's team totals hovering around like a hundred or like a hundred and four. So I do think the I do think based on where the total is. Valley's on Philly. The problem is Doc Rivers' history in Game 7s. And I've seen this Philly team roll over too many times in these big games. And I do think this team's going to have a massive scoring drought at some point in the fourth quarter. Maybe they no-show the game. If I told you Philly finished the game with 84 points, you would not be surprised in hindsight. No, that, that, that's the problem that I have. So yeah, I, I think I'm going to lean to Boston. I hate it. Like, I really, really hate the side. There's no chance I bet the side. I think there's no value on the side at all. Uh, so I'm going to ignore it. I think if you want to go for a side, honestly, take an alt line. Because if Boston's going to cover, they're going to win by 15. Like, Philly's either going to keep this game close or they're going to no-show the entire game. Yeah. Do you I'm agree on that? on that? Yeah, I, I do. I do agree with you on that. Uh, look at Boston. I would look at Boston first quarter. Um, they got to come out with a lot more energy than they have been. Uh, in the series, I think Philly has gotten the best of them. Maybe not covering wise, like as far as covering the number, but they've been competitive and more energetic out of the jump. And I think that is kind of caught the Celtics by surprise because they come out with so much energy, even on the road. I thought they came out with more energy on the road, Philly that is, than than the Celtics did at home. So uh, I look for I look for the Celtics to come out, you know, put it on them early. I feel, I feel like the 76ers will withstand that run, take that initial punch, and be able to fight back and climb back into the game because it's not going to be many possessions. They're going to be efficient in the half court, and B's probably going to get what he wants. Um, it's just up to those other guys. Now, if Tobias, uh, Milton, I would love for Milton to get more minutes and to, for his shooting and spacing, Niang. If those yeah, guys are – last game. Yeah, I, I thought he's been great this whole series. I thought he's been really Even good. I thought he's been really good he defensively. He that much. Yeah, he's been, he's been – Yeah, solid. I thought he's been really good defensively. So, yeah, can it's all depending upon those role players. Can he take a couple of uh, Tobias Harris's minutes? Is that in line for potentially game seven? <laughs> or, or is he just the P.J. Tucker replacement? No, I think – I think. Uh, oh, excuse me, they're drag racing outside my uh, fucking apartment. But uh, Speaking of which, th- uh, the new Fast and Furious 10 is going to be a three-parter, so get excited. Yeah, maybe that maybe they're filming it here. So yeah, maybe. Uh, but yeah, so um, I think that it's in Tobias Harris's contract for they like have to play him a certain amount of minutes. <laughs> it's all because he, of the contract, right? Otherwise, he wouldn't be on the floor that much. But I was kind of just wondering because I do think Niang might be a decent play for maybe threes if you think he actually gets a boost in minutes. I think Tucker's going to play a bunch of minutes in this game because at least you know what you're getting. You're getting consistent effort, which is something yeah. that you can't say the same for every other player on Philly. But Tucker at least gives you consistent effort game in, game out, and he's yeah. still your best option defensively against Tatum or Brown or whoever he wants to guard. And even rebounding, he gives you a boost. So yeah, he definitely he definitely does rebounding. Definitely I think that's good. Rebounding. I think that's gonna be a good point to actually segue on player props here, though. Yeah. 
Uh, so just to read off a couple of points props, I'm going to ask you what your favorite prop is anyway. But to read off the numbers here, Embiid is the highest at 30 and a half points. Uh, Maxi's at 20 and a half. Harden's at 20 and a half. Uh, Smart's at 14 and a half. Tatum's at 29 and a half. Brown's at 23 and a half. Horford's at seven and a half. Robert Williams is seven and a half. Tucker's at four and a half. Uh, Tobias is 12 and a half. And Brogdon is 14 and a half. I'm sure you forgot about 90% of the numbers I just said. No, no, no. Did any of those numbers jump out at you when I yeah, said Yeah, uh, I like, I like Maxi over. Um, that was 20 and a half, if I'm not That's mistaken. That's 20 and a half minus 128 to the over. Yeah, so I would probably play play Maxi 25 plus. You probably can get a better number on that. Um, so that'll probably be plus money, I'm assuming. Obviously, it will be. Uh, so I think Maxi's importance in this game is going to be key for them. Without him, they don't have much going downhill. Everybody else is much of a like a spot up shooter type of thing, um, so I think he brings the aggression. He's unreal in the in the uh, in transition, unreal in transition. Like he blows by two or three defenders, like one on one on two, one on three. He gets to the rim with ease. His jump shot's been falling. I think he's shooting about four or five threes uh, more than he was in the previous uh, series. So I think Maxi has a big game. Uh, also, like Harden under his points and over his assists. I was just talking to, uh, what is that, T-Bills in the chat, and he was talking about Harden assists. I would play his double-digit assists, alluding to your uh, point that he might be a little bit passive early on. Historically, he's been passive in Game 7s. He's had to take shots because he's the main guy usually, but now he's not. And we also have seen him take shots without looking the most confident body language-wise. Right. So, yeah, I like uh, I like his points under and his uh, assists over. Um, other than those are my those are my three favorites. I was reading uh, off the points. You can go rogue and take threes, rebounds, assists, anything you want from here. Yeah, no, I'll just just piggybacking on Maxi. I like his threes. He's been taking a lot more. I think he took double digit threes uh, in game five. I think he put up eight in game six. So he's getting he's getting up there. He's handling the ball a lot more. It's two uh, and a half and minus one forty six on the over. Yeah, all right. Minus minus one forty. I see one forty six at one Jesus. book. Once again, I'm looking at one book. You can probably shop around and find. Oh, okay. Ones, yeah, but. that's that's crazy. Now, don't bet one. Don't bet that. Uh, if you're out of, do not bet that. Just, I see Embiid is at over a half, and the over is minus one forty. He's been I taking some. Yeah, yes, yeah, and and they've been and Horford bouncing. sags off of him all the time. Yeah, they've been bouncing and bouncing and just going in. Randomly, but yeah, uh, those are my three favorite. Uh, I'll let you give yours, and I'll just think of a few more after you get done. All right, uh, so I'm gonna stick with the basic ones here. My favorite one, I'm gonna fade James Harden in a game seven. Uh, if you look at his numbers this series, it's really, really funny because he had two insane outlier games and he's been classic James Harden in every other game. So he went 17 of 30 in game one and he went 16 of 23 in game four to read off the other games combined. Four for 16, four for eight, three for 14, two for 14, which means in the other four games, he's made a total of 13 shots in roughly, what is that, 52 shot attempts, I think? What is that, 24, 38, yeah, 52. So let me just do the math quickly. Let me pull up the Google calculator here. Uh, (laughs) 8, 11, 13, 13 divided divided by 52. He's shooting 25% from the floor. 25% from the floor when you toss out the two insane games. Now, I know the argument is, well, maybe he's in line for an insane game. Sure. Okay. If if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But 20 and a half sounds too high for a guy that's shooting mostly bad 
in this series with a couple of out outliers. But to read off the points for Harden, 13, 17, 16, 12. Those are the four games that he's had without dropping a 40-piece. So once again, those are pretty big outliers. We know the refs might be a little bit more hesitant to call fouls in Game 7, so the, fa- the free throws might be a problem. He only attempted eight shots in Game 5, and they won that game. And Embiid said he wants to be more aggressive. I can really see a world where Harden attempts like 13 shots, and people criticize him after the game for not being aggressive enough. Because even Max, if they win? Even if, if, uh, even if they win, because Maxi can go for 20, Embiid can go for 30, and Harden plays third fiddle, it wouldn't shock me. And you mentioned the assist numbers. I do think that he can rack up assists, and he's been comfortable trying to be more of a facilitator. 20 and a half? That feels very high, doesn't it? It does. It does. So I'm on that's, the under. That's why, I, that, that's why I was on the under. That's why I was on the under. Not to mention the historical stuff, but it's that 20 and a half minus 128. I will take that. Mm-hmm. Tatum, I'm going to skip because I do think some momentum could have been built in the fourth quarter of game six. So I'm going to stay away from him. I know PJ Tucker was at four and a half. It actually went down to three and a half as we recorded. I'm going to stick with what's worked. Give me Horford under at seven and a half. Besides the one game I called him out for being a bad three point shooter, where he hit five three pointers the day after. He has been so brutal offensively Perfect in the series. He can't shoot. It's it's uh, it's just a shame. And wide even open last game, wide open, wide open, pick and pop, and he stopped attempting many of them because he knows he can't really shoot. I can't see a world where Horford is turning down open looks because he knows that he's struggling right now, and he'd rather have Tatum and Brown try to bail out the offense late in shot clock situations, but. Horford has scored a total of two points in the last two games combined, 0 of 9 from 3. I'll take the under 7.5 on his points. That's basically all I got. Embiid blocks. You want to yeah, make a case can't, for it? Can't, can't say that high enough. So yeah, that's another prop that I'd look at. Yeah, I'm looking at some Robert Williams points and rebound stuff too. He was very, very effective. He allegedly got robbed of a double-double because he had a tap rebound to Smart and finished with nine rebounds. So the people were complaining about that on Twitter, but it does seem yeah. like he had a chance to actually get a double double, and they might have robbed them in the process. Yeah, he played really, really well defensively and offensively. I thought he was great in the in the dunker spot. He's very active. Uh, I thought he gave that front line, and I thought he gave Embiid a little bit more problems on the defensive end because he was having to respect the. He was playing drop, so you know Tatum is getting to that I mean he wasn't hitting Tatum wasn't hitting and Al wasn't hitting but if those shots fall in in this game it could be a long night cuz you got to pick your poison you're going to drop and let them shoot the jumper or you're going to back up and or you're going to push up and let them throw the lob so kind of pick your poison with that so I like Robert Williams over uh, points and rebounds also yeah uh but even the other props you want to mention or any other game picks or should we just move on to the lock and dog no nah, we can get into it Cool. Sounds good. So, of course, it is time for the lock and dog picks. But before you get into that, do want to have another word from our sponsor. We're brought to you by Talkify. We all know that sometimes it's difficult to meet great people to date. Why do you keep trying the same methods over and over again if you're set up to fail? It's time to say goodbye to swiping and bring back the human touch to dating with Talkify. And you can also definitely rely on Talkify because it is the country's number one modern matchmaking service that's designed to help you achieve relationship success. They have a trusted compatibility specialist department, and they hand-select successful and compelling candidates so you can date consciously and productively. Talkify is committed to finding your match. 80% of clients met their 
person within the first 12 matches. And right now, Talkify is offering our listeners 20% off when you become a client at Talkify.com slash SGPN. That's T-A-W-K-I-F-Y.com slash SGPN for 20% off when you become a client. Talkify.com slash SGPN. Welcome back, everyone, to the NBA Gambling Podcast. Just finished previewing the Game 7, and we also, once again, had some coaching discussions, etc. Now it's time for the actual pick portion, time for the lock and dog picks. DeLonte, I'm going to let you go first. What is your lock for the show? Cool. For the lock, I'm going with the 76ers plus the 6.5, 7. Really? Probably. I was not expecting that. Okay, cool. You're going to go with the... Uh, I mean, we can grade it at 6.5 because that's what we got, but... Please shop around. You can get a seven. There's plenty of sevens out I'll there. I'll let you so. get seven. I don't care. Yeah, yeah. So take, uh, take your seven. I'll, <laughs> yeah, give, so I'll give you the seven. I, I mean, it's it's not the NFL. It would I wouldn't bet six and a half if it was the if this was an NFL yeah. game. But uh, yeah, I mean, I'm going to go with the 76ers. I think it's going to be a semi ugly game. Um, it still can be competitive uh, and ugly at the same time. Uh, it's not going to be pretty, but I think 76ers can get it done. Like I said, I think Doc Rivers does just enough to not blow it. Not blow the game. Well, blow the game, but not blow the cover. So I like okay. uh, 76ers as my lock. As for my dog, I'm going to go a little bit longer shot here. I'm going with Tyrese Maxey, leading score at – let me get the updated number. It is – I actually plus, like that prop. I plus like that 950. Prop plus That's a hell of a deal, 950. Yeah, plus really 950. I mean, because I think that he's going to have the ball in his hands a lot more. If I'm going to interrupt that, you. I found yeah, 14 to 1. On that? Yeah, I found Maxi at fourteen to one on Fanduel to be the leading score. I'm a damn DraftKings ripping people off. Yeah, they are, but I found I found fourteen to one, so damn. you can have that too. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely definitely take that because I mean, for one, if we think we both think Harden is going to have a less than stellar game, I so might that mention would, that in a second, but yes, okay. yeah, so that would mean. Somebody else has to score. Now, we're not trusting Tobias Harris to score. We just went on the rant about that earlier. Uh, now, Melton might come in and get a couple threes. So, you're left with, I mean, unless P.J. Tucker is going to you know, go for 20 or They 25. might double Embiid. They might change some looks up. Who knows? Right. So, I think Maxi will have a big game. I mean, if he has, what, 30 to 35, I think he's in prime position to lead. If, the total's if, 201. He might get there with, like, 26. He could. He could. So, uh, the only person I'm really worried about is Tatum. Uh, I think he'll he'll shoot better at home. Um so if you want to just place a, a smaller bet on Tatum, like if you want to have something on each side, I think Tatum is probably uh, a good head spot if you want to, you know. But, I mean, it's 14 and one Just throw some pizza money up there and, and have fun with it. But if you want to, you know, be a little bit safer, I play Tatum also. I think he's plus 170. You get that. So, yeah, that'll be my lock. Plus, uh, well, 14 to one um, for Tyrese Maxey to be the leading scorer in this game. Yeah, so Tatum, I see plus 145 on FanDuel, so that might be a better bet on DraftKings if you did see 175. Um, let me see. No, I didn't. My bad. 150. I'm sorry. 150. By the way, just for reference, I know some of it's based on the overall points prop, but Maxey is a lower price than Harden. Yeah. For reference. All right. So if you think Harden goes for a third 40 piece in the series, it's 18 to 1. No, I don't. So just just gonna throw that out there. I'm not taking it. <laughs> yeah, but I, I don't mind that Maxi look at 14 to one. I know I got a profit boost on FanDuel. Maybe I'll throw a flyer on it. But anyway, I turned that into like a 20 to one or 21 to one type of thing. But for my lock for the show, I'm gonna go to the Sixers team total. I'm gonna take the under. Uh, simply put, based on Doc Rivers' career in Game Sevens, his team's offenses have tended to no show games. They scored 86 points 
in game six, courtesy of 13 points in the fourth quarter. Once again, they had three points in the final five minutes and 56 seconds of regulation in game six. But I expect a very, very ugly pace. I think the game's going under. And I do think that Boston has a chance to maybe blow them out. Maybe they don't. But Boston's unpredictable, which is why you're taking Philly. I do think Boston's defense will show up for this game because I do think that a lot of Philly's players, historically speaking, have had that deer in the headlights look in game six, in game sevens before. So I'm going to fade Doc Rivers and I'm going to fade the main core, which I've seen struggle in big games before, by picking them not to score. They might be able to win because I don't trust Missoula either, but I do think defensively and with the overall nervousness of both teams early on and the defensive adjustments Boston can make, they can throw a lot of looks at Philly. And if Tobias is going to no-show the game and if Harden's going to have a bad game and maybe Embiid only gives you 25 or maybe even 30, I don't really trust any other guys to step up besides maybe Maxi. That's the problem. I think Philly team total at, tw- at a 97.5, even though, of course, it is low because it's below 100. I think it actually sounds a bit high to me. Like I, Once again, I think this game might be first to 90 wins. I'm not sure either team gets to 100. First to 85, I'm Philly, Yeah, I'm going to say I'm going with Philly team total under. I think they finish with around like 88 in this game, somewhere around there. So give me Philly team total under yeah. as my lock. Yeah, love it. What are you going yeah, for your dog? Uh, but for my dog, well, first of all, I was actually looking to see if I could find the exact price just for an updated line. Uh, so Philly team total is still hovering around like 97 and a half at minus 118. I'll give that out. Uh, but for my dog, I'm actually going to go to an alternative uh, player prop, and it's correlated to my lock. So this could go really, really badly. But I am going to go with James Harden, and I'm going to take James Harden alternative points under. I'm going to take him under 18 and a half points at around plus 134. If you want to go for 16 and a half under, that's plus 220. If you want to go for full on hard no show, I'll go 18 and a half at plus 134. He's had a couple of games with a lot of mar- with a lot of attempts, a lot of volume, and he's had really bad shooting performances. And he's also had a couple of games where he's deferred a lot. We think Maxi might have a very good game. We think Embiid might have a very good game. I can see a world where Harden misses some shots early, becomes very passive and very just overall unimpressive because he's not going to be able to go to the line. He can't create much separation, and Boston might defend pick and rolls very well against him. Give me Harden uh, points total under 18.5 at plus 134. Once again, the non-40-point games in the series, he has scored 13, 17, 16, and 12. So 25% shooting. <laughs> that's what I'm saying, a 25% shooting. No, that's, like, Harden, that's great, man. That's give great me Harden uh, personal player prop points under 18 and a half at plus 134 as my dog. I'm going to I'm going to play that. You got you got me with that. That's incredible. Oh, I'm going to put together. I don't know if you want to do it now or you want to wrap up the show. I was going to do some type of Philly or just an under parlay. Take a couple of points totals, bet the under, team total unders and just expect a rock fight in a hideous game. Yeah, I mean, I'll let you 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 are the parlay uh you are the parlay poppy. That's what you are. That's what you are. That's what you should switch your Twitter name to, parlay poppy. I'll do my best. I know champagne poppy's taken, so I'm gonna go with parlay. <laughs> uh, poppy, I but. think somebody in the chat was asking you for a NBA and tennis 
Yeah, that's parlay? junk because uh, I do the tennis podcast and uh, he mm-hmm. wants me to merge it. Maybe I will. I'll post my parlay on Twitter uh, yeah. when I make it. I will 100% have Philly team total under in there and I will have hardened points prop under in there. The rest I'll figure it out, but that will definitely be two plays in the parlay. But uh, I think that's going to wrap it up for the show unless you have something else you want to add. No, nah, man. Good luck tomorrow. Uh, get the best number. Please get the best number and let's win. Yep. Oh, so, I do want to say... Uh, I forgot to um, congratulate Munaf on his uh, baby machine. Yeah, forgot to, forgot to congratulate him on that. Uh, actually, it seems like everybody at our company is having a damn baby. I was going to say uh, you mentioned Adam before. He copied Munaf word for word, bar for bar, because he had a kid yesterday too. Right, right. So, so yeah, man, it's crazy. Sword vitality. Yeah, Sword Vitality. Yeah, uh, they're not sponsoring the show, but if you know, you know. Uh, but yeah, anyway, that's, right. <laughs> uh, that's going to wrap it up for this episode. I know that there are no games on Monday. They are skipping Monday, going straight to Tuesday. But there definitely will be some type of Eastern Conference Finals preview episode on Monday. So stay tuned for that. I'm not sure who's hosting it. I think Munaf's going to be back in town. So keep an eye out for it. But until next time, find me on Twitter at Show Radio. You can find uh, Delonte at... It's three X's, right? No, just two XX, Delonte, XX, uh, and I'm up there, active as always. So, and of course, you're also writing articles all the time for NBA. Yeah, I got, I got to write one as soon as we get off, too. (laughs) Yeah. So, on that note, uh, good luck to all of you and all of your bets. Bye, everyone.